Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. But the question I have for us this morning is, what does it look like to be thankful to Jesus? What does it look like to be thankful to Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that before? What does my life look like being thankful to Jesus? What does it look like? I thought that would be a great question for us as we're thinking about the sacrifice of those who sacrificed for us and how much more has Jesus sacrificed for us than anyone else. And So this question we're going to be answering this morning, what does it look like to be thankful to Jesus, is in all things and in all areas for all that He has done for us. And to answer this question, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, it's a story that we read as we've been reading through our Bible, our Bible recap plan, the, reading the Bible plan in a year. This was actually a story that we read today. If you did the reading plan today, it was in the reading this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have a, a smartphone or smart device that you can pull up the YouVersion Bible app, Y-O-U version Bible app, you can follow along with the verses there uh, and some questions and points that will be there for you. And while you do that, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts for the Word. We thank you, Jesus, for your Word. We thank you, Lord. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. If not, you can follow it in the giant Bible in the sky behind me (laughs) as we read this together. This is a story of David and Mephibosheth. Everyone say Mephibosheth. Those of you who are having babies this year, that's a good name. (laughs) Mephibs, you can call him. What up, Fibbifib? He can grow up being the coolest kid in his preschool. So David and Mephibophib, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Then David, David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now hopefully if you've been doing the reading plan with us, you know where this sto- the story is beginning. And uh, you, you, you've, you know the story of David and King Saul and his son Jonathan. How many of you are familiar with this story by show of hands? Right. I'll do a quick little recap. Some of you didn't raise your hand. So Saul was named the first king of Israel, um, and he, he dishonored God. He didn't listen to God. He didn't obey the commands of God, and so God removed him from office and anointed David to be the next king. But before he removed him from office, uh, he had Samuel the prophet, who we're going to be reading out of, Second Samuel, anoint David as new king. And before there was a transfer of power that took place, there was a relationship that developed between David and Saul's family. This is where we read about David killing Goliath. While he killed Goliath, Saul was the king at that time. When uh, The Bible tells us that Saul was tormented by an evil spirit because he continued to uh, refuse to listen to God's direction. And when he was tormented by the spirit, they would bring in David. He would play music, and the, and the evil spirit would leave him. Uh, There was a close relationship. He was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Best friends. He married Saul's daughter, Michael. So he had a a close relationship with his family. And as the story of David's journey to the throne is is a complicated one, 
He, he never took power by force, but he waited on God to appoint him to that position. This is rare back in that day, right? If someone was anointed king or decided to, to, to overthrow another kingdom, they would go in by force, wipe out that king and their entire family so there would be no opposition and they would set up their throne. And as you continue to read through the Old Testament, you'll find stories like that where kings will, will go in and other people will conspire. They'll do a coup, they'll kill that leader and they'll take authority. But David didn't do that. He waited on God to put him into that position. And as the position drew near, there was a battle, the Bible tells us, when Saul, King Saul and his son Jonathan were out on the battlefield, and they were killed, uh, both of them killed by their enemy. And then after that, David was crowned king. But David didn't take it by force. In fact, the Bible tells us here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he still wishes to honor the family that came after him which is completely rare. It would not have happened before. And yet David says, I don't want to destroy this family. I'm not going to have a hostile takeover like the other kings do in the neighboring countries and and, uh, nations. I want to honor those who came before me. And the reason he gives us for his decision to honor the line of Saul is because he says of my dear friendship with Jonathan, my best friend. So we understand that Jonathan, he was... uh, at least on one occasion, he had saved David's life, and David was grateful to Jonathan for, his, for saving his life and for his friendship. So David asked his servants, is there anyone of the descendants of Saul or Jonathan that I can honor? And the Bible tells us there was a servant named Ziba who actually served Saul. And Ziba says, yes, there is one, Mephibosheth. And he's lame in his feet, and he lives in Lodabar. That's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us that actually Mephibosheth was lame in his feet because in the moments when King Saul and Jonathan were killed on the battlefield, his nanny heard about it and and, and the nanny picked up Mephibosheth and began to run him out of the temple or out of the the king's court for fear that that there was going to be a coup and they were going to wipe out all of the descendants. And as she was grabbing him to run out, she dropped him, shattering his feet and his ankles and left him unable to walk. See, they didn't have the ability to heal those kind of bones like we do now. And so he was crippled from that point forward. And his feet shattered and couldn't walk. And he now lost his future and his kingdom. Could you imagine in that moment, his grandfather, the king, his father, the next in line, and then him potentially being after that in a moment, loses his grandfather, his father, and then becomes crippled? And loses all of his inheritance and all of his future. And the Bible tells us that he lived in a place called Lodabar. When we translate that, it means no thing or no word. He was living in a land of nothing, losing everything. But David didn't want to kill him. He wanted to honor him. And it's significant that David wanted to go to this young man who had lost everything and was literally living in a place of nothing and say, how can I bring him into a place of honor? Because of this relationship that David had with Jonathan, he wanted to honor Mephibosheth and remind him of his worth and his value. Just a side note this morning, maybe some of you this morning feel like you're nothing or 
valueless, but today Jesus would have me to tell you that you have great value in him and have great worth in his eyes. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know who's been saying what to you. But God would tell you, my word has greater authority than anybody else's word in your life. And I say you're valuable. I say you're worth everything. It doesn't matter if you come from a broken place or a broken home or people have been speaking things into your life that are, uh, that are just not true. God's word trumps their word. Amen? Amen? You have worth and you have value. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, said, uh, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David after David calls him to himself, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, Mephibi, McFibs. He says, at your service. He said, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You will always have a place of honor with me. Could it be this morning that God wants to honor you today? Could it be that God wants to give you a place of honor even when you feel like you're unhonorable? Even if you feel like you're worth nothing? Verse 8 says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Have you ever felt like a dead dog before? Only me. You ever felt so low in life? You ever felt like that that no one cared, no one should care? If everybody actually knew what was going on, everybody would cast me out like a dead dog. You ever felt that way? And yet, David says... As he summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, bring in the crops for him, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. So David, because of the relationship with Mephibosheth's father, was generous to him and gave him a place of honor at his table. Now, why do I tell us this story? How does this story relate to the question of what does it look like to be thankful to Jesus? Maybe you're asking yourself that question right now. Hopefully you are. I'm going to do some parallels right now. Uh, Let's bring this up. Chris, can you help me? When the whiteboard comes out, you know it's going to be a good one. (laughs) All right, perfect. Thank you. Let's draw some parallels in the story. That's that's right. You need that kind of enthusiasm. (laughs) First, uh, I'm going to be speaking metaphorically from this story. Uh, and that's, that's good to keep in mind because metaphor only does so much, right? Metaphor cannot paint the perfect picture. There's going to be something lost in translation. We're not going to have a, a perfect understanding. But metaphors are good because they help clear up some things in a story and gives us insight. So I'm going to be speaking metaphor, metaphorically, but let's see where some of the parallels lie. So first we, we have Jonathan, who is the king's son, 
Uh, he was to be the rightful heir after his, son, after his father died. If his father had obeyed God and had honored God and had done all the right things, then the right in line would have been his firstborn son, Jonathan, the king's son who would have been uh, the right in line. But he was, he, the Bible tells us that he befriended David. He was gracious to David. He even saved David's life and became a very dear friend. David even said about him, The love that we have in our friendship is even greater than a love I have with my own wife. Such a dear friendship, a close friendship. And he could have fought David for the throne. He could have uh, tried to keep David from the throne. Instead, he sees the hand of God on David and is gracious to him, saving his life, helping him gain the kingdom. David becomes, becomes the king. The Bible says that he is grateful to Jonathan, grateful for his friendship, grateful that he protected him, grateful that he watched out for him, that he even warned him, hey, I think my dad is going to try to kill you. That's cr- Can you imagine? I mean, it's a Bible story, so we're like, that's nuts. But could you imagine today if that was happening? I mean, that would be nuts. Going to your friend and say, hey, you can't come over today. You can't play Xbox. I think my dad's going to try to kill you. I mean, that's, that's, that's wild, right? Hey, that mess you made last time you came over, no good. My dad, he said he would literally kill you if you came out with you. That's nuts. And this is what Jonathan and David, the relationship they have. So David is grateful to Jonathan. He loves him for his friendship, loves him that he is so grateful. And in response to Jonathan's friendship and grace towards him, David says, I want to honor your descendants after you. I want to be generous. His gratitude turned into generosity to Mephibosheth. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that Jesus is the true king, the one who pours out his blessing on us, who is gracious to us, who befriends us, who loves us. The Bible says that he makes us co-heirs with him in his kingdom. He, he, he pours out his blood over us and makes us kings and queens in his kingdom. Did you know that you're a king and a queen in the kingdom of God? Jesus, his grace towards us, befriends us like Jonathan befriends David. He is gracious. He, he says, come share this place of honor with me. He is gracious and he calls us to be his friends. And our response then, our response like David's response to Jonathan would be, how then do we show our gratitude to Jesus except by being generous with the Mephibosheths of the world? And then the question would be, who is the Mephibosheth in this scenario, in this picture? And if we think about Jonathan being the father of Mephibosheth, Jesus is the creator of the world. In fact, David, in this scenario, wanted to show honor to Jonathan by giving a place of honor to his son that he loved. Jesus, if we are understanding this parallel in this sense, then David, uh, we would be in the spot of David and we would say to Jesus, in this scenario of Jonathan, how can I show you honor except to honor those that you loved? 
Who did Jesus love? The Bible says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so in this scenario, we become David, desiring to honor those that Jesus honors and by being generous with those in the world. Generous with our time, with our energy, with our, with our abilities, with our talents, desiring for them to have a place of honor. Do you see that? And that's a good parallel, right? That would be a good, that would be a good one. That's not the one I'm going to use today. Because I don't think that uh, we are David. Right? What did I tell you uh, last time I spoke about David? Right? David is the hero of this story. Right? And if we put ourselves in the hero, as the hero spot, we miss it. Right? We are not generous like David. We are not the king like David was. Who is the king in this picture? Jesus. Jesus is like David in this story. And the world is not Mephibosheth. We are. We are Mephibosheth. We have been crippled by sin. We have lost everything because of sin. We have been found in a nothing place with no thing working for us. And when we are outside of God's will, we don't even have his word, load to bar. We are separate. But because Jesus knows the Father, and Jesus loves the Father, and Jesus knows who the Father loves, the Father loves the world. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And because Jesus wants to honor his Father who... who, created the world in his own image. Jesus says, I will go and give my life to bring those who are broken and mistreated and lost and crippled by sin. I will go to them. I will bring them out of a nothing place and give them a seat of honor. In this picture, Jesus is the one who is gracious to us. And we would say to him, who are we but dead dogs? That you would call us out of our darkness and put us into your light. Who are we that you would even think of us who crucified you, who spit in your face and who whipped you? Why would you even think of us? He says, no, because the Father loves you. Because the Father created you in his image. Even though sin took everything from you, I will restore it back to you. And I will cause it to bear fruit in your life, fruit that you did not even work for yourself. David tells the servants, I'm giving everything that belonged to your master back to the grandson, Mephibosheth. And I know he can't work it on his own. I know he can't till the land. He can't reap the harvest. So you're going to do it for him. And he's going to reap the reward. And he's always going to be at my table eating in a place of honor. And this is what Jesus says about you and I. He looks at us. He says, I know what belonged to your father, Adam, that he gave away in the garden as it was his and he gave it away so freely. And I know it's been stolen from you. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to take the land that's been stolen from your father. I'm going to give it back to you. See, when God created the heavens and the earth, 
It says that Bible, the Bible tells us that he gave dominion and authority to Adam and to Eve, and they gave it away. And Jesus came and he says, I'll restore everything that's been stolen, and I'll give you that place of dominion and authority again. And even though you've been crippled by sin, I'm going to bring you freedom and life and hope. And I'm going to restore you back to a place of honor again. So you didn't know it this morning, but you're Mephibosheth. And I'm Mephibosheth. You can call me Mephibosheth if you want to. I will honor that as a good nickname from here on out. Because Jesus is our true king. The hand, uh, the anointing is upon him. And he can restore those he wants to restore. And he's chosen to restore you today. He's chosen to honor you today. He's chosen to love you today. Because you're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. You have worth and value. Your life is meaningful. And what does sin want to do? It wants to distort your identity. It wants to rob you of what's been given to you. It wants to cripple you so that you can't walk after God. But Jesus would say, even if you bear the scars of sin, I will pick you up again and I'll restore you back to a place of honor. Isn't that beautiful? He says it to all of us today. Those who, in a moment, it seemed that you lost everything. Jesus has the ability to turn it all around just that quickly. Just that quickly, he can turn it. Just as quickly as Mephibosheth lost his inheritance and his title and his position, it could be restored right back to him again. That's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus, because of his relationship with the Father, is gracious to us, giving us a place at his table and caring for our needs, just as David cared for Mephibosheth. He's gracious to us. How many of you have experienced God's grace today? He's gracious. We all deserve punishment for the sin that we commit, and yet he's gracious because he loves us. He loves us. He's generous to us. How many of you have experienced God's generosity to, to you? If you're not quite sure, take a, take a breath. That breath belongs to God. And He gives it to you. Feel your heart beating. That heartbeat belongs to God. And He gives it to you. You have clothes on your back. Those threads were made by God. You didn't know He was in the fashion, but He is. And he gives it to you. Everything we have is a gift of God. It belongs to him. He created it. He made it. And he is generous. He calls us valuable. And he picks us to sit at his table. That's what 
gratitude and generosity looks like. And so what then is our response to Jesus's generosity to us? Paul tells us, and we looked at 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now we're going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writing to the Corinthians to encourage them to continue to be generous because their generosity is revealing, the uh, is revealing their gratefulness to God, is opening up doors for others to receive the grace of God. Verse 10, he says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he's speaking of God, will also supply and increase the store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Say every. Not some occasions. Every occasion. Not just on Mother's Day. Can you be generous to your mom? On every occasion. Not just on Sundays. Can you be generous because God has been generous to you? Not just on Christmas and Easter can we honor Jesus, but every occasion. And not only to the Lord, but to others on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service, verse 12, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, that's what we give here in our tithe, but it also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service of, by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Wow. Are we living in a way that when people see it, they say, wow, they praise God because of the way you live your life? Man, let it be said of us. Let it be said of me that others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. I want people to receive the grace of God because of the way I'm generous with them, the way I love them. And I can, I can be in that place when I recognize that I'm Mephibosheth in this story, that I could not earn something for myself I couldn't pull myself up to get to that table. I couldn't restore anything back to myself. I needed the king to restore what, everything that I had lost. And when I have received freely, the Bible says, then I can freely give. So let's live, let's live our lives open-handed for the sake, so that people wouldn't praise you, but what Paul says, so that people would praise the Father because of your obedience and generosity and sharing the gospel of Jesus. He concludes in verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts would go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Because of God's generous gift of grace towards us, through Jesus, we respond with generosity towards others. And our generosity is twofold. Generosity isn't just giving a large, chip, a large tip at, at the restaurant, which I encourage you all to do. Especially if you say you're a Christian. They say you bow on your heads and you leave them like a dollar. Come on. 
But generosity is not just in finances. Because you have something that the world is desperately needing, and that's the, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we could be generous with our words, sharing the good news of Jesus and the hope of Jesus, that he can break every chain, that he can bring healing to those that are wounded. He can restore what's been stolen. He can set you free from whatever bondage you find yourself in, even if you feel like you can't get free. The gospel of Jesus. Be generous with your faith. Be generous with your faith. And be generous with the things that God has given you that are tangible in this life. Because true, true generosity is found in both of these things. Sharing the gospel and caring for people's needs. Amen? So we want to be generous today. We want to be thankful today. And as you are thankful for the mothers in your life, let that spur thankfulness in your heart also for Jesus. And I pray that you are grateful and thankful for your moms. Even if you come from a difficult situation, you're still here because of them today. Amen? So this morning, as we would have our worship team come, as we conclude our time together, I want to pray for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, Jesus is here to give you life today, to give you life, life and more abundant life. So I want to be generous today, and I want to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with you. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, died a sinless death to give you hope and a future and to set you free from the power of sin and darkness. So the call would be for you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never put your trust in Him, to put your trust in Him today. To give your life to Him. To receive His grace towards you. Sin has crippled all of us. But Jesus wants to give you a seat at his table. Jesus wants to give you a place of honor. Don't remain in that place of dishonor when Jesus has his hand extended to you. My prayer is that you would accept his invitation and sit with Him and allow Him to come into your hearts and to be with you. The Bible tells us that He stands at the door of our hearts knocking, saying, I want to come in and sit with you. 
I want to come in and dine with you. Allow me to come in to your heart and change that seat of dishonor into a place of honor. So if that's you this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, Jesus is calling you to know him today. So on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. One, two, three, right now. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Turn me from my sin. And turn me to you. I accept your invitation. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me, for giving me life today and new hope for tomorrow. I trust you. You're my king. You're my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For the rest of us who are believers in Jesus, this call for us is to show honor and generosity, even if you don't think the person deserves it. Because we don't deserve the honor and the generosity that God has given us. So let's be his representation to the world and give grace and mercy and generosity and kindness while also sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's not be a church who just says, oh, Jesus loves you without actually telling them why he came and died. We need to speak grace and truth. And let's do it together as we show generosity and honor. Amen. So would you stand to your feet this morning as we close out our time? We'll continue in our day of honoring our moms and loving on them and treating them. Let me pray this prayer over us as a prayer of closing. Let's bow our heads together, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your generosity towards us. We thank you that you've honored us with your presence and honored us by calling us out of our darkness and into your light. And we pray, God, that you would continue to draw us out of darkness and into your light. Continue to love us 
continue to be merciful towards us, God, and help us to turn from our sin and turn to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. Now, Lord, as we respond to those things, help us then to walk in those things as well. Help us to walk in patience, walk in grace, walk in mercy, walk in kindness while we speak the truth in love. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to CBC.com.